Good morning, everyone. It's really good to be with you today. I hope you're doing well wherever you are, and I hope you're enduring through these challenging times. I want to share a message with you today that I've titled The Final Miracle of the Christ. I believe the miracle that I'm talking about today gets talked about very little because what follows it in Scripture is so amazing. It kind of gets overlooked. And so let me start first by praying. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to worship you today. I pray that as you lead us through the Sabbath, that your spirit will be close with us, that we will be rested and refreshed and renewed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me set the scene with darkness. Our scene begins in darkness and in a garden, an olive garden, in fact, much like the one behind me. It's been an eventful night for Jesus so far. He had been at his final Passover supper with his disciples. He has tenderly washed their feet. He has broken bread. They've eaten uh, together and drunk wine together, although one of the disciples had to leave early. Uh, He'd spoken of a covenant and he spoke about his blood and he charged his disciples to remember what he spoke of and what he did that night and to do those things as they remembered him. Some of his words had been fearful. He spoke that the shepherd would be struck, the sheep would be scattered. He spoke about betrayal and he spoke about his death. But after the meal, they had sung a hymn and they took an evening walk across the Kidron Valley up to one of their favorite places, the Garden of Gethsemane. And the night had taken a strange turn. Jesus was praying by himself and full of a good meal, the disciples were struggling to keep their eyes open. Again and again, Jesus begged them to stay awake just so he didn't feel so alone so they could keep watch with him. But they kept drifting off. And it's in this half-asleep mood that the disciples find themselves being woken one last time by Jesus, telling them to arise. His betrayer has come. And as they wake, they see coming towards them a crowd. I'll continue the story in Mark 14. If you've got your Bibles handy, Mark 14, I'm going to read from verse 43. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Now, we know this story, the story of Jesus' arrest. 
Judas approaches. Jesus is not surprised. He knew this would happen. He knew who his betrayer was. And sure enough, Judas kisses Jesus and Jesus is seized to be arrested. It's a dramatic story. But there is one odd note here that we often gloss over. Because what stands out to me is that in the middle of the arrest, Mark tells us that in verse 47, one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, I guess there's a couple of things worth noticing first up about that. Now, the version I read says servant of the high priest. Some versions might have the word slave there. It's the same Greek word, the word doulos. But in English, how we translate this word makes a big difference. If I ask you to imagine a slave, you might imagine someone in chains, imprisoned against their will, subjugated by a cruel master who we should have pity upon. But if I ask you to imagine a servant, you might well have a very different picture in your head, a picture of someone who resides in the home, who works for the family that they live with, who cares for them and is treated well. And I think that's probably closer to what this term means. It's perhaps more akin to Joseph in Egypt. He was a servant of the Pharaoh, but was he kept in chains and subjugated? No, he was given authority and control and power and sent uh, many people to do work for the Pharaoh. And so I think it's the same thing when we look at the servant of the high priest here. He has been given authority and sent with Judas to bear witness and take part in the arrest of Jesus. This isn't someone in chains hovering at the back of a crowd. This is someone with the confidence of the high priest. And we know that he's not at the back of the crowd. Otherwise, how would he have been struck by a sword at the front? Now, I think the servant in this case of the high priest has gone as the high priest's representative to make sure that Jesus is indeed arrested. And here's the other strange thing we notice in that verse, that the high priest had his ear struck off, is that he had his ear cut off of all the strange things to happen in the middle of the arrest of Jesus someone loses an ear. What are the odds of being able to cut an ear off in the middle of a scuffle? Was it an accident? Was the sword wielder aiming at the servant's head but kind of missed? Was the servant wearing a cone-like helmet perhaps and did the sword simply slide off and down and cut his ear off? This sounds like very bad helmet design, if so. Does that mean there were a lot of earless soldiers getting around? I've probably asked too many questions. I don't know about you, but it is an odd detail to note in the middle of such a significant event as the arrest of Jesus. Well, perhaps it's just one of those things that that got put in one of the Gospels. Let's look at what Matthew has to say. We can find the same story in Matthew 26. I'm going to read from verse 47. It says, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. 
The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. So we can see that this account in Matthew has many similarities to the account in Mark. Judas arrives with a crowd who is armed. They have been sent by the chief priests and elders, although the teachers get a pass in this version. The signal of the kiss is the same, although here in Matthew, Jesus calls Judas his friend. Jesus again tells the crowd that he is leading a rebellion, and he affirms that this is happening to fulfill the writings of the prophets, and once again, all the disciples desert him. And once again, there is the servant of the high priest in the middle of it all, who has a sword drawn on him, and once again, he has his ear cut off. Now, we do get a little more information. In Mark, it said it was one of those standing near who drew his sword. But here in Matthew, it says one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword in verse 51. But the event is still the same. A sword is swung and the high priest's servant loses his ear. I think it's pretty remarkable for that same detail to be in two Gospels. Could it be that perhaps it's relevant? Let's have a look at the other Gospels to see what they might add. So John, in chapter 18, has the same story of the arrest of Jesus. I'm going to read from verse 2, so follow along if you like. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the father has given me? 
Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Now, I would expect some differences in John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are often grouped together and called the synoptic gospels. Synoptic means seeing all together. They have a similar point of view, and many of the events of Jesus' life are similar in those gospels, while John holds some stories that aren't in the other three and vice versa. But of course, because the event's still the same, we see many similarities here. This is a pivotal event in the life of Jesus. And so it was recorded in all four Gospels. In John, we see a crowd and Judas come to arrest Jesus from the the chief priests. And this time the Pharisees are mentioned as well. Judas is there too. In this story, the crowd falls back at Jesus announcing himself. And Jesus asks for the others to be let go. Well, that's different. Jesus was still arrested and then he was taken to Caiaphas. And scripture has given me the oddly prophetic proclamation here that it would be good for one man to die for the people. It was indeed good. Caiaphas didn't know of what he spoke. But we also get a lot of new information here in John that we didn't have from Mark and Matthew. First, we have more information uh, about the high priest's servant and who is responsible for cutting it off. We're told that that lovable hothead Simon Peter was the one who had the sword, who drew it and cut off the high servant's right ear. This is an extraordinary level of detail. It's not only noted who drew the sword, it's noted that an ear was cut off, but it's also noted that it was the right ear. Now that must have some level of significance, some importance to be mentioned so often, surely. Incidentally, some people have suggested that Peter is left-handed because if he's holding a sword in his left hand, he would have naturally struck at the right side of his opponent. Now, that's a stretch, but who knows? I'm not sure how that makes you left-handers feel out there. Maybe it's a good thing. We also find out the name of the servant of the high priest. It's given as Malchus. Now, we know the identity of all the parties involved. Do we know anything more about Malchus from Scripture? Not by name uh, and not particularly, although interestingly, if you look further down in John 18 at verse 26, it says one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. So it's another one of the high priest servants who's accused Peter of knowing Jesus. And this one is a relative of Malchus. Malchus and his family serve the high priest. And this man happened to be in the garden for the arrest as well. Malchus seems to be well known and of high esteem. Does the name Malchus mean anything in particular? We know in scripture often that names have significance. Now, interestingly, it could mean a couple of different things. In Hebrew, it could either mean my king, 
or it could also mean counsellor. And I want to suggest that perhaps this does have a meaning, this name in particular, and the context we're looking at it lends itself to the thought that perhaps Malchus, as a servant of the high priest, is a counsellor to the high priest, a trusted servant, a confidant who took his side and went faithfully with the crowd to ensure Jesus was arrested, to be his witness, to be at the front to make sure that this happened. He's not only a representative of the high priest, but a counsellor to him as well. And in the struggle, he lost his right ear. But there's one more gospel to check, and I'm sure you know the story. Let's have a look at the gospel of Luke. It's in Luke 22, and I'll be reading from verse 47. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. So again, we can see the similarities with Matthew and Mark that have come through in Luke. A crowd's come to arrest Jesus. Judas is among them and he and Jesus exchange words. Jesus is betrayed with a kiss. But there's an important detail added here. And once again, the high priest's servant has his right ear struck off by one of Jesus' followers. But this time, something incredible happens. In the midst of his arrest and this violent struggle, Jesus stops and heals Malchus, who's had his ear cut off. And this is an astonishing thing, that during the middle of his arrest, the arrest that would lead to his crucifixion and death, Jesus stops and takes the time to heal one of those instrumental in the very action that would claim his life. I can't imagine a better picture of grace to be able to forgive and heal someone who has come to do you harm, even to death. Jesus' action here shows a kind of love it's hard to look at because I compare so poorly. Seeing Jesus being so forgiving makes me realize how unforgiving I can be. I like to forgive people and we talk about forgiveness. We forgive one another. But how often have we wanted to forgive people who hate us, people who want to cause us harm? I still get a little upset when someone steals a car park that I was aiming for at the shops. But here is Jesus healing someone whose heart is full of anger for him, who's come to arrest him, to punish him. This little miracle, this final miracle 
that Jesus does before the cross weighs heavily on me. Because I would understand if Jesus had nothing but righteous vengeance for those who had come to arrest him. I would be okay with Jesus calling down 12 legions of angels to defend him. But he doesn't do that. He submits to the arrest. He tells his followers not to fight. And he heals Malchus. That shakes me. In contrast, how am I living? Am I forgiving those only that deserve forgiveness in my sight? I'm left with more questions, however, because of this event. This ear thing is in all four Gospels. In each of them, it is noted that the servant of the high priest has his ear removed. Now, I know the arrest of Jesus is a pivotal event in his life, but why would they include this detail about the servant of the high priest and his ear? Why would they include that detail unless it was at least a little significant? So what significance could it possibly have? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is how often Jesus tried to tell his disciples and followers that they were spiritually blind and spiritually deaf, and he would teach them, saying, he who has ears to hear, let him listen. And he would mean that those who could understand the spiritual truths he was speaking should hear with spiritually open ears. Are the, the details that we're given here, are the Gospels here reminding us that those arresting Jesus were spiritually deaf, that we need the, the touch and healing of Jesus to hear properly? perhaps, but I wanted to to check through scripture to search for any other mentions of a right ear just in case it helped put this detail in context. And if you'll indulge me a little, I want to share what I found because I found something that really struck me. And I'm going to read now from Exodus 29. Exodus 29, I'm going to start with verse 19. It says, take the other ram and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on its head. Slaughter it, take some of its blood, and put it on the lobes of the right ears of Aaron and his sons, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. Then splash blood against the sides of the altar, and take some blood from the altar and some of the anointing oil, and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, and on his sons and their garments." Then he and his sons and their garments will be consecrated. That's right. Exodus 29 is all about the consecration of the high priest Aaron and his sons. The right ear, thumbs, and toes were marked with blood. It was done every day across a seven-day ceremony. And the high priest Caiaphas would have gone through a similar ceremony when he became the high priest. Now, the first century philosopher Philo uh, spoke about this ceremony, saying that the fully consecrated must be pure in words and actions and in life, and words are judged by hearing. The hand is the symbol of action and the foot of the pilgrimage of life. And other rabbinic commentators from the 12th century have argued that the ear symbolizes that one must attend to what 
has been commanded. In other words, the ear represents listening and attention to the word of God and to God's commands. The word of God and to God's commands. The fact that Aaron and his sons were marked with blood indicates a change of status. Aaron and his sons were no longer private citizens, but representatives of God. For Jews, blood was an indicator of a transition. The blood on the lintel of their doors had passed over, marked them for who they were, set aside. The blood of circumcision marked the men and boys of Israel as belonging to God. The blood on the ear marked Aaron as the high priest, listening to and representing God's words to the people. So how does that apply to Malchus? Well, I don't think it's a fluke that Malchus has his right ear removed and that it is mentioned in such detail. The ear being cut off is in all four Gospels for a reason. And I think the fact that the two mentions of a right ear in Scripture are both linked to the high priest seems beyond coincidence. Now, if we remember that Malchus uh, was there as a representative, as a servant, as a counsellor of Caiaphas, I wonder if this is a final message to the high priest. I wonder if Malchus's right ear being cut off would signify something to Caiaphas. If Caiaphas would think back to that moment when blood was put on his ear, when he looked at the bloody mess of Malchus's right ear. But of course he was healed. And maybe the message to Caiaphas was, your high priesthood is gone. It's not needed any longer. You cannot hear the voice of God and so it is removed. Because now Jesus, the true high priest, has arrived. And to prove that, after the ear has been removed, Jesus heals that ear. He heals the ear of the man who will take a message back to the high priest. Can you imagine what it would be like to be Malchus on that day? Can you imagine what Malchus must have been thinking? He started out going to arrest someone that he thought was a liar, an infidel, someone who was bringing disrepute to God, a blasphemer. Then at the arrest, he had to suffer through a sword cut to the head. And the pain must have been incredible to see his ear gone. I can't imagine how he must have been so scared to feel the the blood gushing out of his head. Um, But then the next thing he he felt was the tender touch of Jesus' hand over his ear. And then the next second, he would have realized the pain was gone and that he'd been made whole. And then I think the next realization would have been that this man, Jesus, is really who he says he is. And I can only imagine that Caiaphas, he must have realized that he was wrong that this man is truly able to heal and do miracles, that he is from God, that he shouldn't be arrested. And I ask questions. I wonder, how did Malchus counsel Caiaphas? What words would he have spoken to explain the encounter in the Garden of Gethsemane that night? 
Did he tell Caiaphas about the miraculous healing? Did Caiaphas dismiss these claims that Malchus looks fine now? Did Caiaphas understand? Was this perhaps a way even for Jesus at the very end to try and show Caiaphas that he was speaking the truth by healing one who is a part of Caiaphas's household, someone he trusted? If so, it doesn't seem that Caiaphas listened. Now, Malchus is never heard from again, either in scripture or in historical records. And some would say that that lack of mention means that he didn't play a part in Christianity. But some say the fact that we have his name recorded means that he spoke with someone that John perhaps knew the name of this man or found his name out afterwards or talked to him even. We don't know for sure. But what I do know is this. From Romans 5, 8, we're told that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Jesus healed Malchus when Malchus was there to arrest him. And I know that even if I were to come armed with violence against him, Jesus would still love me enough to heal me and forgive me. Even as I arrested him and led Jesus to his death, Jesus would heal me and forgive me and love me. And friends, that kind of love can't help but change us. When we think about our own lives and think about the love that Jesus had, it makes me want that love. It makes me want to be able to give that same love to others as well. And it makes me want to listen to what Jesus has to say. Friends, let's just pray. Father, I want to say thank you for the story of Malchus and his ear, not only because it reminds us of Jesus as high priest, but also because it reminds us of the love that Jesus has for us. It's far beyond anything we could ever imagine. It's even to the point of healing someone who was there trying to arrest him, to harm him, even to kill him. And Lord, we pray that we could show that same love, that through Jesus dwelling in our hearts, that same love will be poured out of us, that we could look on those that we saw as enemies, as those who need to be forgiven and loved. And I pray you help us to do that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Sabbath, everyone. Thanks so much for your time today. I'll see you again soon.